the mission of the church is expected to produce fruit a certain result in the people of God. When a person is changed by Jesus or transformed into something new, the result of this is fruit. So the fruit that you initially experience right on, and this is why it's a truth proposition in Christianity. You have to accept who Jesus is. And in order to accept who he is, what do you have to do? You have to accept the reality as he defines it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty mm. Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is not a journey that uh, we can do for you. We are not the Uber Eats of your <laughs> faith journey. Uber, something we're spiritual Uber. Spiritual Uber. We pick you up and take you where you need to go. Yeah, we are not that. <laughs> so if that's what you're looking for, you came to the wrong podcast. But if you're looking yeah. for Sorry. Uh, a personal trainer, basically, <laughs> that you can do the work and we will come alongside you to coach you, encourage you, challenge <laughs> challenge you and teach you how to critically think for yourself that you have arrived at the correct podcast. And that is the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast (laughs) without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. (laughs) Douglas Peak. Yeah, we are here. We are here to pump pump you up up spiritually. (laughs) That's my Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. Arnold. (laughs) So... Yes, we're here to help you grow in your faith. And uh, really the essence of the Salty Pastor podcast is give you tools and context, the frameworks for you to be able to think critically through things yourself. And that's really when you do the work, you are the one who benefits the most. Mm. And let me tell you what, if you're tired of feeling like you're manipulated, if you're tired of feeling like uh, you're locked up and you don't know which direction to take, if you're tired and, and uh, of just always being uh, inundated and effective negatively by all the bad news out there. The answer, the antidote to that is to know what you believe, why you believe it and get a accurately aligned perception of reality. Because when that happens in your life, you not only become a stronger person, but a more mature and wise person in so many worlds, uh, worries of the world, so to speak, no longer impact you. It's not that you don't take them seriously, but they don't have influence over you in the way people who want to use them to influence you. It no longer makes any impressionable pressure or anxiety in your life. Why? Because you've done the work. You know what you believe, why you believe it. You know what the reality is. You know who's in charge. You know how it all works and how it all fits. Bad things can still happen, but they don't have power or strength over you. Absolutely. So we are in a brand new series um, that we kicked off last week called My Political Jesus. We're talking about where does the church and you and politics all (laughs) intersect and where do they not intersect? (laughs) Well, what's our role? What are we supposed to do? Absolutely. And so I think understanding our roles and understanding what Jesus did and didn't say about politics Mm -hmm. and what we should and shouldn't be involved in is really important. So we, um, we, we kicked it off on, on Sunday along with roundup and everything else. And I think people responded really positively. Mm -hmm. We had a discussion group after the sermon and they were talking about the things that they're hoping you're going to talk about. And so they may, um, get some of those hopes answered, but ultimately I think everyone's really excited to kind of see, I think a lot of people were expecting you to come out swinging 
really hard and like be ready to like fight you on something. And they're like, oh no, actually, okay, I'm a, I'm okay with all this. Everything right? I said was true and accurate. Yes, it was. And there wasn't anything to really fight about. So yes. I think that was interesting. I think you hear the word politics and everyone's hackles go up and they're yes. ready to fight over it and you're like no we're just we're just talking about yeah, yeah we're gonna talk about we're gonna wade in the deep end of the pool here and see what happens so we started by organizing basically our four primary responses that you see in a church mm -hmm. um, that might be em employed in a church environment and that's the benedictine option the charlemagne option mm -hmm. the embrace everything option yeah. and the don't take sides option so describe those a little bit i'm i'm curious to see let's what see got through well this, let's see how well this sticks yeah so option one the benedicting option was basically we're just going to remove ourselves from society like the monks did and yes. hide out in our hovels and eventually they'll all destroy themselves and we'll come out on the other side right yes exactly uh the charlemagne option was if i remember correctly we should be in charge of everything so it's basically the opposite of we don't uh secede from culture but we instead take over the culture and we become like the pope and just like have our own government and take yes, it over take it over yeah mm -hmm. uh, option three was the embrace everything option which is kind of the like we love everybody we love everything they do jesus loves yeah. everybody and we just so, don't ruffle feathers. Yeah, everything is fine with God and everything's cool and it's just all peace and not love or love and peace, not war and and discernment. You know, it's just that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And option four was kind of the love conquers all option of like not mm -hmm. taking sides and saying, you know, ultimately we're not going to get involved in either side, but instead use the Bible as our our yeah. compass for how we should proceed in our lives and not get wrapped up in the in the craziness that the polit yeah. politicians like to get us all riled up in. Right? Yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, that one is more along the lines of, well, as long as you have a strong personal relationship with Jesus, politics and outwardly things don't really matter because you don't want to take sides and alienate anybody. But the, the problem I have with that is it's a little too Gnostic in its orientation for me. And that is, is that you're saying, well, my personal internal spiritual life has no impact on my everyday life outwardly, Okay, you know? And so that, you know, we talked a little bit about that last week, that that was the innate flaw in that because Jesus specifically said that when you come to me, you're good, you're, and you're redeemed by me, your life is going to bear fruit. Right. Right. And that fruit's going to come out somehow. Mm -hmm. And so are, are we salt and light in the world, you know, or are we just so nice that we don't offend anybody in the world? Right. Is we're, our, yeah. Is our to fly under the radar and just be very, yeah, is our calling to even. be nice or is our calling to be good and righteous? Right. Those are two different things. Those are two different things. So what are we talking about today? Are we, what are we talking about? Well, I, I think we're going to try to figure out, well, which one of these uh, that I get oftentimes when it comes to your church, right? What is the most biblical of these four options? Because a lot of times what people do is they have expectations about their church. Uh, there are some people that are saying, I don't like going to that church because it's too political, right? Mm. And then there's a whole bunch of other people who are Christians are, I wish my church would take a stand politically. Right. So they swing one way or the or other. The, there's a lot of expectations in that. And so I think that one of the most important thing is, is that, you have to realize something if you're a follower of Christ, and that is you tend to see the mission of the church through your spiritual gift lens, right? Okay. 
So basically what that means is this, if you have the gift of administration, right? Mm -hmm. You look at your church and go, it needs to be more organized. It's so chaotic. Why it's is so chaotic. No one, why is no one organizing? Yeah. This? Why isn't this organized? It's such a mess. It's such a disaster. And it creates all so this conflict. Things if it was yeah, just more just, organized. Or no, the, so the mission of the church should be organized. Then somebody else who's an evangelism gift comes along and says, well, um, you know, the church needs to be more evangelistic. If we just forgot about everything else and went out and saved every person and knocked on every door, brought everybody to Christ, then we the church would be, building. yeah, we don't need, you know, the church would be fine. And so the church needs more of that. Then you have a person who has the gift of worship or whatever. And they're like, you know, we don't need to study the Bible. We just need to connect with God. You know, a Sunday morning service should be 90 minutes of music, you know, and then other people will come to that and go, well, it seems like a concert to me, right. you know? So if your spiritual gifts tech, uh, you just, you just <laughs> think that we need uh, more tech. <laughs> we, if we had more cameras, we could yeah. share the gospel, gospel better. More right? effectively. Just, I just want to make sure I'm not calling other people it's out loud, not yourself. myself out. So, <laughs> well, but you see what, that's what we do is we tend to think that the mission of the church, like if, if you're a shepherd, you know, well, we just need to love and care for people more right. uh, or we need this. Or, and so what you do is what you don't realize when you do this, this is a salty thing to say. What you don't realize is you are imposing upon Jesus, the mission of the church through your own lens. Mm. And that's where your dissonance comes from. That's why you're unhappy with the church. And Paul actually addressed this in first Corinthians where he says, stop, you know, trying to take your gift and saying it's the most important one because it's not. So really what you have to do is if, is if you align your expectations and your understanding of the political environment that we are currently in with the authentic mission of the church given by God in the new Testament, that's going to answer the question for you. How does our church respond? What is my expectations of how my church should respond? So we have to go to, and I told everybody on Sunday, this is, we're going to use primary source texts, right? And when you look at the primary source text in the New Testament, what you find is the first one is found in Matthew chapter 16. And this is a quote where Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Well, what was revealed to him? that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son asked, of the living God. He had just, Jesus had just asked um, the Peter, disciples. Yeah. Who am I? And he said, well, you're the Messiah, right? And yep. so this is immediately following that. Yeah. And he says, you didn't figure out this on your own. The, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And he says, I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So, the church is something that Jesus Christ, it belongs to him and he will build it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then in Matthew 28, uh, after Jesus raises from the dead, he appears to the disciples and right before he sends into heaven in verse 18, it says, Jesus then said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, the church is mine. I will build it. And then he says, here is your mission. 
Okay. What is your mission as the church? It is to go and make disciples of all nations. And what's really interesting is the Greek word for nations is ethna, which is the word we get ethnic from. Okay. So Jesus right here is saying, basically go and make disciples of all ethnicities. You see of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. That's why the Christian church practices baptism. Cause Jesus said, baptize people into him. And then he goes on to say, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So now we have to go back and say, okay, well, what did he command us? That's what the gospels are. The four biographies mm. on the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we have to go back and say, okay, discipleship is learning to follow. It is learning to align myself with what Jesus Christ taught and said. Okay. And so this is really important John, the gospel of John chapter 15 quotes, Jesus saying, if you are in me and I am in you, you will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So that's what discipleship is, is alignment with Jesus coming. I want to be in him, him in me so that my life bears fruit. So the mission of the church is to do what? It belongs to Jesus and we live for his mission, which is to go and make disciples. And then in Acts chapter one, verse seven, Jesus says to his disciples right before, this is another recording of, cause he said multiple things right before he ascended into heaven. Right? Mm -hmm. So he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. And they were, they were asking him, when's your kingdom coming now? He says, no, it's not up for you to know what God has decided. Okay. He goes, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes on you. So he's referencing the day of Pentecost. So right after this, they go back to Jerusalem in the upper room and they're spending time. And so for the next so many days, they're just up there praying and praying, praying. They don't leave. And then the Holy spirit descends on them at like nine o'clock in the morning. Mm. Right? So it's early in the morning, makes a huge loud rocks, Jerusalem. And it was really, uh, he says, when that happens, you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay. The city of Jerusalem. Then in Judea, Jerusalem was in the state of Judea and Judea was in the area of Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So what he's basically doing is like a bullseye, you know, it's like Jerusalem's Radiating the center. Out. Yeah. And it radiates out even to the end of the earth. And he says, so it starts in Jerusalem and then the church has grown outward from that. And today what we see is almost 3 billion people are followers of Christ now all over the globe, mm. you know? And so that's really powerful. So what does he say? The mission of the church, when you receive the power of the Holy spirit is to be witnesses of Jesus. Right. Okay. So our mission is to go out to the remotest parts of the earth, proclaim Jesus, baptize them into him and teach the people to obey all he has commanded, disciple them mm. to maturity, basically. Okay. And then if we go down to chapter one of the book of Ephesians, when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus, he says, verse 10, it was his intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the intent for the church. The mission of the church is that God's manifold wisdom would be made known through us to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So now, okay, wait a second. I thought you're going to, Paul was going to say here on earth. 
No, he's saying in the heavenly realm. So we now have a spiritual mission to pray for God's manifold wisdom in the heavenly realms. So just to recap how far we've come so far, Jesus said, I'm going to build your church. Yes. I'm going to do it. Then he says, your mission as the church is to go out and make disciples of all nations yes. to the ends of the earth and baptize them and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Mm -hmm. Then he follows that up and says, you've, you don't know when I'm coming back, so you need to go forth with this power of the Holy Spirit and mm -hmm. accomplish your mission. I'm not sending you out there all on your own. You right. have the Holy Spirit. Yep. And then the section you just read is, you should pray for wisdom. Don't just go your own way. With the <laughs> go whole, your own, own way. way. <laughs> um, Correct. This is a bad karaoke <laughs> podcast now. Um, <laughs> and so he basically says, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, but you have to like listen to the Holy Spirit. You can't just yeah. like take it as a mark and then just go off and try to do this. You need to pray for wisdom and that will be granted to you. Yeah, so you're and, saying it's not necessarily on earth or what what was your well, point? Well, his point realms? here I think in this particular is you're right. We pray for wisdom, we're led by the spirit, we're empowered by the spirit, we're driven by the spirit. Everything comes from the spirit of God, but we are the vessel of the manifold wisdom of God. So he's doing it through the church and the church not only has a role here on earth, we have a role in heaven. Okay. Right? So God's okay. plan is yeah. the ultimate And wisdom. so in, in the heavenly realms, there's only one opposition to God. And who is that? Satan. Yeah. So in the last, this is chapter one. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, he says, probably around verse 10, he says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of this present darkness. Okay. So there is a ruler and principality, which means a, uh, a nation, mm -hmm. right? A principality is a nation and, uh, it's, it's of this present darkness. It's evil. It's prevalent. It exists in the spiritual realm and here on earth. It's manifested here on earth. Okay. So we are fighting against in a spiritual battle, evil. Right? Right. So that's what he's saying. And then finally in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So the point is, before I move on, the church has a role in this spiritual battle that we're fighting. Right? Right. And God has a plan for it. Yes. And he's going to move through us to defeat it. Right. Okay. For that final purpose that... And then, yeah, and then Acts 20, Paul is getting ready to go back to Jerusalem before he's arrested. And then he go, is in prison. He goes to Rome. He preaches the gospel. Eventually Nero executes him. But he stops in Ephesus and he gives the elders a commission, right? A commission okay. about the church. He goes, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them so that you must be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So w the mission of the church is obviously it belongs to Jesus. He's going to build it. We're going to go out and make disciples in his name. It's empowered by his Holy spirit. It's to go everywhere to all ethnicities. And we're in a spiritual battle against evil. And the biggest place that we must battle here in this realm is through truth, right? 
because there will be a distortion of the truth. And that's what we really need to focus on as a church is what are the, because Christianity is a truth proposition, right? And so it's all about the ultimate truth, the reality in which we live. So you, the, the reason we went through these passages of text was basically the question I had was which of these options is the most biblical option, right? Yes. Like we were trying to identify yes. which of the four options is the most correct according to the Bible. And all of the ones you gave me, pastor, don't mention <laughs> politics or human government. So I'm feeling like you're just leading me down a rabbit hole or you're setting me up for failure. But based on what Probably I'm the seeing, latter. based on what I'm seeing, it kind of feels like option one, maybe the Benedictine option or yeah. maybe number four of don't take sides and just be the church is the most biblical. Am I right? Am I close? Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for pitching that softball, bro. Cause I'm about ready to say, <laughs> nope, that's not it at all because the mission of the church is expected to produce fruit, a certain result in the people of God. When a person is changed by Jesus or transformed into something new, the result of this is fruit. So the fruit that you initially experience right on. And this is why it's a truth proposition in Christianity. You have to accept who Jesus is. And in order to accept who he is, what do you have to do? You have to accept the reality as he defines it. You have to accept the fact that you can't use your own truth anymore. Yeah, you can't, you have to accept the fact, and this is what's so hard for people in today's world. You can't, you have to accept the fact that Jesus says, I have come to redeem you and buy you back that you were created in the image of God. And because of that, you are valued in the eyes of God, but you have a sin problem that is a cancer of your soul. And in order for you to fulfill who you were meant to be in God, to walk with God, to know with God, you have to be cleansed. Mm. You have to have this wiped out. Okay. You have to be reborn. You have to come from death to life. You have to do all of these things. And so you have to accept that. You have to accept the fact that God values me, but I'm kind of messed up. Right. right. Most people don't want to say that. What they want to say is God value me. And this is who I am and who I want to be. And God is like, yeah, I don't work that way. Right. It doesn't work that way. I'm opposed to pride. I'm opposed to that. You have, so you have to humble yourself. And this is why Jesus said you must become like a child. It, does that mean, you know, there's, there's two things about children. One is that, and I don't mean this to be rude, but ch children are incredibly dumb, right? They, they, <laughs> right. they, 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 they they're ignorant. They, they don't understand the consequences of their actions. You know, oh, let's go pet the tiger, you know? Right. I think <laughs> your, your favorite phrase is a small Small children are like little suicide machines. Yes. Just constantly boys. Trying to get them boys are suicide machines. Yeah. When you're a dad, your job murdered. is just, I need to keep this creature from killing himself. You know, yes. he wants to run out in the street. He wants to jump into the fire. Yes. He wants the, the raging river. Oh, I want to jump in the river and swim with the fishes. You're like, ah, so kids uh, are completely ignorant. They have no knowledge of the consequences of the decisions that they're making. They just don't get it. Right. That's why you are teaching them. But the other thing that, you know, that's the downside. What's uh, Jesus wasn't re referencing that. He wasn't saying you need to be ignorant. You need, you need to be stupid or not know the consequences of your actions. He was referring to the other part of children. You know what children are is that in a lot of ways they have not made up their prideful mind that they're awesome. You say, Hey, don't do that. And they, they don't, they're not offended. They go, Oh, okay. 
You right. correct them. It's it's very easy because they have a childlikeness about them. They want authority to teach them and instruct them about life. And so Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So what's he saying? You got to put all of your adult pride aside, all of your arrogance, all of your sense of of value that you gain from what you've done in your own mind that makes you awesome or whatever. And so and you have to set that aside. So that's the whole point. When a person is changed by Jesus, they move from death to life and they have to accept this new reality. Most people have no idea that the definition of human beings that Jesus brought to the world was incredibly radical. I mean, it was absolutely radical. And we take this worldview for granted. See, people came and they go, oh, I'm creating the image of God. I have value, but I have a sin problem. Well, guess what that does is that says every other human being is the same, right? We all have the same thing. And Paul makes this reference. Yeah, it's a great equalizer. We're all the same. Well, guess what? In Rome, that idea didn't exist. In Judaism, that idea didn't exist. Mm. In the Jewish mind of the Old Testament, they were God's chosen people. And so they were above everybody else and everybody outside was unto perdition or rejected by God. Right. But, and then in Rome, it was all about who is the, you know, the leader and the authority and who is more closer to the family of origins that founded Rome and, and then the demagogues and gods. And then Caesar was a God. You had to worship Caesar. And I mean, all this notion was just, that's how the whole world lived, right? Mm -hmm. Is that there were those who had, and then there were have nots. And that was all based on a hierarchy of society and value was determined upon your social status within the society. And Jesus comes in and says, basically, no, that doesn't exist. Mm. And today people like, okay, the whole world thinks that way now. No, they don't. I mean, you go to India and the number thing that they have over there is the caste system. It is very pronounced. People don't marry outside of their caste. Right. You know, there are four major castes, but there's about 3000 subcastes, you know, so you have all these social stratuses within all of these four major groups. And so the point being here is this, Jesus comes in and and introduces this incredibly radical idea here in America. We take that for granted because we think everybody thinks that way today. Well, where did all that come from? That worldview came from Jesus. And so the problem though, that we're having right now in the last 25 to 30 years is now we've shifted away from that. People are proposing a new worldview. Yeah. A new worldview. And it is crazy, crazy. And that's Mm -hmm. why, and I'll talk on Thursday why politically we're experiencing a lot of this. And so what I'm talking about here though, ultimately is the principle of upstream, how to answer your question, which one is most biblical? Well, this is the up, we, the church is an upstream organism, the living body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth. And this is the absolute brilliance of Jesus. When you understand upstream, you see the brilliance of Jesus case in point. The mission of the church is to introduce people to Jesus. It is not to educate people, right? Mm -hmm. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to be a school, right? That's it. Our goal is to introduce people to Jesus. However, in order to do that, you must educate people so that they can meet Jesus. You have to teach them about the reality of the world. And then the more they know, the more they can read, the more educated they are, the more they can investigate the claims of Jesus for themselves, right? And here's what's amazing is that the result is that the education has improved through its techniques and its processes over and over and over again to the point where it is now considered necessary for any civilization to survive. 
prior to just, you know, 200 years ago, you know, uh, just very small places, people were actually being educated in Christian, you know, these monasteries and things like this. They wanted to educate more people, right? Even for a period of time, I hate to say this, but the Catholic church didn't want people educated. Right. They wouldn't even do the mass in their vernacular. We talked about this with Wycliffe, right? Yes. And so what, what this tells us is this, is that wherever people where the mission of the church is to introduce people to Jesus, education has gotten better and better and better and better. Uh, education prior to Jesus was considered something precious reserved only for royalty. When you go back and you read about the ancient uh, Egyptian pharaohs, if you read about the Chinese dynasties, all of this was highly protected. It was a, a thing that would only be shared with royalty right? Because common people were not to be educated. But today in Protestant societies, the, and I mean Protestant, which is one of the forms of Christianity, Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodoxy or the other two, but in Protestant societies that have been influenced by Christianity, guess what? The literary rate up until about 30 years ago was over 97%. Mm. 97%. In Roman Catholic societies like South America, you'll find that the literary rate was around 89 to 90%. Compare that to India, where Hinduism is, it's less than 20% there. You look at China, and up until probably the last 20 years, it was probably around 20 to 30%. Mm. So what this tells you is that these is very low literacy rates. Well, the mission of the church is to introduce people to Jesus, right? Because that mission is maintained throughout 2000 years and the church is always corrected back to it because of the scriptures. Guess what happened is education has gotten better and better and better and more broad, more broad, more broad. Another case in point, the mission of the church is to introduce people to Jesus Christ for the redemption of their souls, not to end poverty. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was asked, he said, you'll always have the poor with you, mm. right? However, everywhere Jesus has become a primary influence. Guess what? Poverty has been alleviated. It's really amazing. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things shall be added unto you. This is Matthew six thirty three. Does this mean that Jesus is a giant ATM and if you're loyal to him, he gives you an allowance on which you can live? <laughs> no. <laughs> what it does mean is that you gain wisdom. You begin seeing the world as it truly is, how it actually works. So you start making better decisions and that wisdom starts to drive you, but you become more productive. So everywhere Jesus becomes Lord, societies have become wealthier and economics have gotten better. This is the principle of upstream. When your core values are correct and aligned with reality, your downstream changes in a dramatic way. The mission of the church is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. So they move from death to life. It wasn't to end slavery at all. However, no matter where Jesus is influential, slavery of any type was ended. Why? Because in order for people to be redeemed by Jesus, they must believe they have a choice and that they have the same value as any other human being. And in the eyes of God, there is not a hierarchy of value. Do you see this upstream principle? Yes. Is that if we focus on these values and these values are seated, they go downstream and they have radical political impact. Absolutely. So let's turn our specific, let's turn this to a specific question about politics. Mm -hmm. 
you set me up earlier and said, which of these four is the most biblical? It's like, give me an answer. I need an answer. What <laughs> options should the church take in America right now? Well, my opinion is, is that those four have truth in them, but that's not what we should be doing. I, I okay. propose a fifth option. And that is, is that the primary battle you right now there was a is fifth option, pastor. <laughs> I cheated, I guess the primary battle right now is ideological, meaning it's spiritual in its orientation. And my concern is not the church not is not that the church is avoiding po politics. My concern is the church is not engaging in the most important debates about the very nature of human existence. So the mission of the church is to lead people to Jesus. And this requires people to be aware of a certain reality. And this reality is being denied. And right now people are making up their own realities. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> that is the common value in America today is that you have your own truth. You make up your own reality. And it was even ensconced in the Obersfeld decision by Justice Kennedy when he said every American has a right to make up their own reality, mm. you know? And so unfortunately, when you do that, people, when people live that way, it's incredibly damaging to them as human beings. It's not just damaging to them as individuals, but to marriages and to families and to neighborhoods, cities, societies, states, and nations, entire societies collapsed on the basis of pseudo realities. This is an axiomatic truth, meaning it is always true. No matter what it's like gravity. Mm. And that is, is when a society adopts a pseudo reality, it will collapse. And so we'll talk more about these things on Thursday, but I just wanted people to understand the biblical orientation that the mission of your church is very specific as laid out in the scripture. And if you want to understand the role of the church in politics, you got to first understand what Jesus has told his church to be and to do. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us today, pastor. Um, now that there's a fifth option, I might have to rethink which one I'm leaning towards. So we'll, we'll do that as a group. You guys should be thinking about these five options that Pastor Doug has put forth. And I think he's going to give us a little bit more intel on it on Thursday. So make, <laughs> sure you, make sure you tune in then so that you can make a, a critically thought out decision about which <laughs> way you want to go. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.